We live in a time where the expectations for young people are low at best. In 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul encouraged Timothy to not be looked down on for his age, and we want to discuss how we can set an example in what we believe, think, say, and do. We believe that God is calling each of us to greater maturity in our faith, and we hope that you'll join us in thinking through what this looks like today. I'm Alec. And I'm Trey. This is Despised for Youth. Episode two. Here we are. We did it. You know what this episode proves? What's that? It proves that we actually had the intention to make more than one. And and more than that, that we were able to at least start to fulfill that intention. Yeah. Follow through is a, a good thing. Not yeah. enough of that these days. Especially in sports, I hear. <laughs> yes. I was never good with sports that required follow through, though. So Doesn't every sport require that? Uh, I'm thinking more like baseball and... Oh, uh, not football, golf. Like so basically, things. any sport where you swing something. Yeah, because yeah, your follow through would be the motion after the point of contact. Yeah, that makes sense because when you when you're holding something, like the further away, like a a point on an on an arm gets, the more dramatic any small changes. So mm-hmm. like you're in, increasing the length. So if you're swinging a golf club. The follow through must be really important because even the the slightest little adjustment. I'm I'm mm-hmm. really bad at golf. I've never played enough to know that I'm really bad, but I've you know messed around doing long drive mm-hmm. type things and just yeah, not very good. So what have what have you been up to this week? Oh man, just typical married guy life: work, gym, home. I say that's typical for me, at least. Yeah, I was going to so, say, I don't know how many people go to the gym on the regular. Well, paying enough for it, might as well get something out of it. That's so <laughs> You got to join the, the dirt cheap gym we go to, $10 a month. I, 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 when I started, I was at the Purple Judgment-Free Gym, um, and it was, the, like, the Supreme membership was $21 a month. Supreme. So black card was what they said that's funny ours is a green card (laughs) that that is actually pretty funny just colors that's all they've got (laughs) to express premium can't just say premium anymore have to find some catchy premium is not good enough anymore this is america we are we are better than premium (laughs) premium is now the standard premium is what you get when you when you just want the free trial and you don't pay for anything that's premium everything above that we have names for that (laughs) Oh boy. Standard, that's what our competitor will give you. We give you, we start you at premium. Oh, yeah. Marketing, something else I'm not good at. So what have you been up to this week? Well, uh, I've been up to a few things, but I, I think one of the one of the more frustrating things that happened this week is I was looking for a micro SD card because um, I knew I had one. And so mm-hmm. I checked uh, my old camera case. I had uh, a small digital camera and it wasn't there, but I found my camera again. And I remembered I stopped using it because the screen wasn't working anymore. It has like a touch screen on the back and uh, it would light up, but you couldn't see anything. And I thought, you know what? It's about time I get this fixed. It's a nice camera. Um, I could use it for filming things. You know, why not? So I, I called a repair place and I said, hi, do you do digital camera repairs? And they said, no, we don't do that. And I said, does anyone in 
in Gainesville do it? And they said, no, maybe Best Buy, but probably just talk to the manufacturer. So I called the manufacturer, um, Samsung. Oh. Anyway, well, first I didn't call them. I went on their website and it seemed really nice at first. I, I was like, oh, I'll register my device. I'll see if I can get a repair on it, request a repair. Keep in mind, this camera is maybe, maybe about six, seven years old. I'm not sure exactly, but somewhere around there. So I register it and I can't find anything. They say, you know, we have no record of this serial number. It's either entered incorrectly, it's too old, or I don't know, you purchased it outside America. I was like, it can't be any of those things. So I started chat and a lovely, helpful fellow of the, by the name Samir, Samir G, I think it was, he, uh, he helped me out and helped. I use that in the loosest sense of the, of the <laughs> word. Um, he feigned to help me. He, he, he supposed that he was helping me. Uh, what really happened was I would get about five minutes in between each of his messages, and it was extremely frustrating. I'd say, what seems to be the problem? And I'd, I'd tell him, oh, the screen doesn't work, the touchscreen still works, I can still take pictures, I just can't see anything. And then he'd say, can you give me complete information about the problem? Like, what, what does that mean? I thought I just did. And so I kind of rephrased everything, and he said... Have you tried restarting the device? And at, that was the moment I knew this is not going to end helpfully. Um, so about 30 minutes later, he finally gives me a number to call, says he created a support ticket. And I was like, okay, good. Uh, he couldn't find anything on the device. So, so I call I call this number and they, they say, you know, what, what do you need help with? And I explain the situation and they say, this is the wrong number. So they connected me to where I actually was, you know, who I was actually supposed to talk to. And I explained it to them and they keep asking me to hold. And so I I hold for maybe 10, 15 minutes total. And she says, I need to talk to my superior. So she talks to her superior and she says, we have no record of this device. And I say, what do you mean? Like, is my serial number wrong? They said, no, this camera, we have no record of ever making this camera. So like Samsung made this camera and somehow they, they just burned all the blueprints or something. They have no record. They don't know how to fix it. And it was like, how, how is that possible? And she said, well, it's older than three years old. Like, what device is breaking down within three years that... Uh, I don't know. So after about, you know, a total one and a half hours of putting effort into trying to get this solved... The Samsung basically told me, sorry, you can't ever use this camera again. Um, so now I have a dead camera and I'm De- sad. A dead camera that never existed. It never, they they denied that they ever made this practically. It's like, I Googled it. I can prove that you made this camera. That's amazing. Actually. But this actually kind of links into what we're going to talk about a little today. And, you know, it's kind of a longer story, but... The point is, Samsung is this really big company, right? And you'd think they're doing stuff really right. Like, I really like the camera, or I liked the camera. I really liked it (laughs) when I was able to use it, Samsung. Um, And I would have thought they were a great company because, you know, they made it. But the thing is, it's not so simple. It's not just about making a good product. Their their tech support was terrible. They're, They're clearly disorganized. And ultimately, like, it didn't last. So even though they had this really nice camera, it's not just as simple as can you invent something good? There's all these different aspects that make it a good company. And Mm -hmm. we'll probably work this in 
a little bit later or allude to it in some sense. But our topic this week is what makes preaching good or what makes good preaching. I think that might be more grammatically correct. Yeah. I'm not a grammar expert. I don't don't English well, so I can't correct you. Well, either way, uh, similar to the thing with Samsung, it's not as simple Mm -hmm. as you might think. It's not just, is it good content? It's not just, does it sound good? It's kind of a little bit... So it has to be more than buzzwords and current events is what you're telling me? I, I'm suggesting that that might be possible. Wow. Oh, we might need to talk about this further. And am I flipping your world upside down? Uh, yeah, I'm, my head's spinning right now. Well, good. Uh, but before we get into this topic, we actually have a listener question from the last episode. So our last episode, we talked about what's the purpose of the local church. And if you remember, one of the big things we talked about was uh, community in the local church is important because it gives you opportunity for, for growth, encouragement, and accountability. So one of our listeners asked, well, they more, more, more stated, I'd be interested to hear what you guys think about how accountability in the church works when there's no one your age in your church. So one more time, that question is, well, I'll rephrase it. What do you guys think about how accountability in the church works when there's no one your age in your church? I think it's a good question. Do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, or? I, thought a, I thought a little bit about it. I had mm-hmm. a bit of an advantage because I read the question, you know, before just now. <laughs> so I think uh, the question kind of presumes two things. One of the One of the things is that Age is an important factor in accountability because it gives you someone who can relate to you and they, you know, they're on your level, they understand you. The other thing I think is age kind of implies that they're your friend and they're someone who you know cares about you and someone you probably care about. Now, it's good to have people, you know, who are in your similar stage of life when it comes to accountability and encouragement, uh, but I think it doesn't have to be people your age. It, it, it's going to look different probably, but there's, there's definitely room for older, older men in the church. You know, if you're a man, um, maybe, maybe someone in eldership or the pastorate, even, uh, having them be some, somewhat a part of your life and, and allowing them to regularly, you know, interact with you and, and, you know, give you input. It's not going to look the same, but I think, especially if there's no one your age in the church, what it comes down to is trying to find someone who you, who you connect with and just have, can have conversation with someone you can, who can relate to you, someone maybe you can relate with, and also someone that you genuinely think cares about you. And uh, it's not always going to be someone your age. You might be in a church where all the people your age are maybe not that nice or you just don't connect with them. Like, it's possible I might find myself in a small church and I'm not really into sports. And if, you know, that's the only, if that's the real thing, connecting all these guys together, I'm just going to have a really hard time fitting into that group because nothing bores me more than talking about sports. I just can't do it. So... Um, what do you think about the question? Uh, I think your answer was pretty spot on. Um, my first gut reaction is that age is not necessarily the first 
or even close to one of the most important things to look for when looking for accountability. Like you said, you want somebody that cares for you. I think that's the most important thing because good accountability is not going to come from somebody who doesn't truly care about mm-hmm. your spiritual well-being. Um, when you start working out from there, I think then you do need somebody who can relate to you. Um, it's hard to be held accountable by someone who doesn't understand what area or what stage you're at in life. And when you go from there, I mean, age really just becomes like a, a convenient way to try to find somebody kind of like you said, uh, it, it definitely is a daunting task to think of going to an older man or older woman looking for accountability um, just based on like the way we look at age gaps in our society. But scriptures seems like pretty clear. Um, there's a, to be a relationship between older men and younger men in the church that resembles a father son relationship. Um, and you know, we're supposed to be in the church together. Uh, if we're there together, you know, God's going to bring along someone hopefully for you to be accountable to, um, whether they be older or your age. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way to look at it. And one of the, one of the things you want to consider with accountability and, and really just your relationships in the church is you want to diversify. It's, it's not really a good idea to only associate with a few people who are all very similar. Like, you know, we're, we used to be college age and it probably wouldn't have been the best idea if the only people in the church we knew and talked to were other college students. They, you're just not going to get the, the encouragement that comes from someone who, who knows what it's like to be in your position and now has many years since that they've been able to look back on it and they can provide you that, that feedback from what they've learned. Uh, so whether it's, you know, a couple people your age, um, and one or two people older, younger than you, or, you know, mostly older or younger and one person your age, I think it's good to just associate with the church as, as a whole, like be a a cross section of the church. You don't want to put yourself in a pocket. And, and if you're, if you're intentional about your relationships and you associate with people and you're just genuine and let people into your life through, you know, what you're, what you're a part of in the church, I think it, that's, that's going to lead to these relationships where people will be willing to speak into your life. Definitely. Definitely. I think to your point, about having people around you that are the same. I think it is important to have diversity in that group because then you just end up in an echo chamber and nobody ever challenges you on the way that you think or, you know, the things you believe. Not that I'm saying that we need to challenge our belief as Christians, like our fundamental belief. But if you don't have somebody's perspective that's different than yours, You'll never really grow. You'll just get entrenched in maybe your own presuppositions or opinions that while they may not necessarily be completely wrong, they may not take into account someone else's and be able to find a middle ground graciously. Yeah, so I think it's uh, probably all we need to say on that question. Um, so we'll, we'll move on to our, our topic at hand. Hopefully our listener finds that helpful or or at least now they know what we think about it really the question was what we think about it maybe maybe they already know what they think but um so our topic of the day what makes good preaching 
I decided yes. to put the good at the beginning there. What I, makes good preaching? I fully support your decision. <laughs> but first, before we can answer what makes good preaching, I think we have to talk about what is preaching? Mm-hmm. Where does it come from? Why do we do it? Uh, what do we know about it? Yeah. So I, I looked into it a little bit, and my okay. first thought was, we probably do preaching because there's kind of this tradition of of oration that I thought went back to the ancient Greeks. Turns out it's actually older than that. I, I didn't even consider that Jewish traditions go back beyond that, and uh, teaching in sort of a sermon style has just been around for as long as anyone can really remember and as long as we have records it's just kind of how teaching happened and kind of goes back to uh the way stories were were kept you know the what is it verbal tradition do you know what I... uh yeah like oral tradition oral tradition yeah i think that's it yeah i mean one could argue that it all goes all the way back to the beginning when god spoke things into existence and he spoke through the spirit revealing himself at different times so it's almost like he set forth the standard and i'm smirking because there is a bit of sarcasm there but definitely reaching (laughs) but no yeah i think there definitely is evidence of that um you look at you know moses comes down off the mountain with the, the law and he stands before all of israel and he teaches what God has revealed to him. Obviously, our teaching, preaching today looks a little different. Um, our pastors don't walk out of the back room where they have been in the immediate presence of God and not been consumed with fire and been given a special word. We have scripture, um, which is his grace to us at this point in human history. But it's still the matter of taking God's truth and giving it to his people. Mm-hmm. The, the main thing that we have in common throughout all of history is God's word being presented to the people. And yeah. I guess it makes the most sense that one person would be doing it if we had, you know, like five people at once and they kind of switched off every few sentences, just wouldn't, wouldn't go as well. So I think God's divine wisdom said, you know what, it takes one person, we'll just have one person speak and then everyone can listen. And that's, that's pretty much what preaching is. Uh, yeah. There may be some history buffs out there that can probably do a little bit better job, but I think for our discussion today, that pretty much suffices. Yeah, that's uh, that's about as much into history as I'd like to get. (laughs) So, I mean, if that's what's preaching, or what is preaching, why, then, would you say we preach? It's important to ask that because there are certain things that uh, believers have done thousands of years ago that we don't do anymore, but we still do preaching. Mm -hmm. And I think the main reason we still do it is because there is never a time where we don't need to be learning about what God's word says. And that's because it's, it's the basis of all our hope. It's the basis of uh, how we can understand the world. It, it, It informs just what we use to navigate things. I think in modern philosophy, they kind of, uh, they define like a worldview as as a tool. It's a tool that you use to navigate the world because if you have some concept of who you are, what you're doing, and why you're doing it, then that makes it easy to to actually live life. Otherwise, you know, it would just be chaos. And so our worldview is directly from scripture. And so if we 
don't understand it or the less we understand it, the less we're going to be able to make sense of and navigate the world as a believer. Yeah. And it's funny, the, the things you were saying there called two different uh, passages to mind. So, you know, our, our worldview is, I think you use the word anchored or, you know, kind of guides us. And you think like Christ is our anchor beyond the veil is what they say, what it says in Hebrews. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Christ is the word. And uh, if we don't have something that is guiding us, we kind of end up going every which way. And that makes me think of uh, where Paul says, you know, people are tossed about by every wind of doctrine, that there's no direction for them. There's no, you know, plumb line mm-hmm. or whatever. It's just whatever sounds good to them at the time. That's what they go off and do. Right. right. The more we understand about about God and, and what he wants us to know that I like the plumb line imagery. Uh, what exactly is a plumb line? It's, it's used to make sure something's flat, right? Uh, I think that's a level. If I remember correctly, which I could be wrong, a plumb line is what you use to make sure you're cutting straight. So, uh, okay. Yeah. I think I, mean, I could Google it quickly, but yeah. Uh, um, eh. If you're at home and, and we're wrong, just, just Google it and drop a comment or what. I don't know. It doesn't matter. We'll probably Google it later. Yes. <laughs> but just, just do it right now. Pause, pause this podcast, Google plumb line, and then know that it's a sim uh, a symbol that we're using to illustrate uh, some sort of form of guidance <laughs> just just keep that in mind if we're totally wrong it's guidance yes and just feel free to tear us apart in the comments <clears throat> as well yeah what is this youtube <laughs> <laughs> i do want to i want to point out you know when we look at why i think scripture also from beginning to end really talks about the why um it, it's a major theme teaching scripture throughout all of scripture. I mean, Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy. Yeah, I can never pronounce that right. So, uh, six, six through seven, uh, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Uh, you shall talk with them when you sit in your house and it goes on about, you know, throughout your daily life, you talk about them, you do them. Uh, Titus two, one, uh, but as for you teach what accords with sound doctrine, you know, this idea that we're being taught, it's just, it's there in scripture. If it's there in scripture, we're accountable to it. So mm-hmm. so if you went to a church and they didn't really have any sort of formal preaching, would that be a deal breaker? Oh, yes. Yes. That's, I feel like in the reformed, uh, or reformation, reformed tradition, you know, 500 some odd years ago, that was considered one of the like ordinances or uh, it was, it's worship and it's the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments, baptism and Lord's Supper. So if you're missing any one of those things, you know, you probably should keep looking for a different church or mm-hmm. you should look at leaving. So Yeah, it sounds, sounds good right to me. So we kind of see uh, preaching take a few different forms and it's really changed uh, in modern times. I want to say probably in the last 80 years is when we've seen the most change. I I didn't go to seminary or anything, but I'm fairly certain in the 50s, maybe the 40s is when we started to see a big turn in uh, preaching styles. But uh, no matter when it was or or who did it, I think we can kind of boil it down to, to three main categories. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Like you said, I'm not sure the timeline either. But yeah, the the three that we're thinking of is 
exegesis or exegetical, eisegetical, and topical. So that sounds pretty Latin. Um, I believe exa is out of, yes. and I'm guessing isa is into. As far as I or know, or on top of. Uh, into at least in this context would be the best way right. to probably interpret it. So, for all of you who you know are at home and maybe your eyes twitching a little bit after yeah, pa- hearing those words. Pause and Google first. Pause and just Google isa, and then uh, is it e i s e i s i s a. E-I-S-E. All right. Pause and Google and uh, just have a mini Latin lesson. All right. Continue. (laughs) So, I mean, just to give a brief definition uh, of each, exegesis would be an explanation or critical interpretation of a text. So you are letting the text give its meaning. Uh, The meaning comes out of the text, exa. Uh, eisegesis would be the interpretation of a text by reading one's own ideas into it. So the idea of you're putting something into it. Uh, Those definitions come from Merriam-Webster, to quote all of our sources. And then topical, um, Merriam-Webster didn't really have a definition for topical, but approaching scripture to find and teach on particular topics. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what we think of with that. Right. So here's a little example to kind of really illustrate what these words mean in case it's not entirely clear. So take, for example, uh, I believe George Bush, George H. Bush, I believe George Bush, uh, our former president of maybe 10, 11 years ago, was when he was done something like that, 10, 11 years ago. uh, He once said in a speech, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. And he said it in a specific context. And so exegesis would be trying to figure out what his meaning was that he was trying to communicate. So I think uh, the context he was speaking in is something about one group not knowing what the other group's doing, but they're part of the same unified body. So maybe, I don't know if it was different branches of the government or something, but uh, not communicating and not knowing what each other's doing. And uh, that was his main point. And I think he was saying it was something that should be happening. I don't know. History is clearly not our strong suit. Eisegesis would be saying, I think he's talking about hands. And he's probably specifically talking about when you have a stroke. And so one side of the body might not be communic. you know, they're not unified. And so I say, I'm going to assume he's talking about having a stroke. And then you'd you'd quote that, you know, you're giving a presentation on what a stroke is. And you'll say the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. George Bush, eisegesis. So in that case, very wrong. The topical would be, I want to talk about hands. So I'm going to quote this from George Bush. And I'll be saying, you know, we've all got two hands. We've got the left hand and we've got the right hand. As George Bush once said, the left hand hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. I almost almost accidentally did like a southern (laughs) accent or something. Um, So do you think that kind of helps illustrate? Yeah, I think that's definitely uh, a good illustration. You know, we can look more at maybe what we think some good and bad examples of these mm-hmm. in, with scripture are in particular too. That way, you know, maybe it helps give a little more clarity because you don't want to come to something and just outright say at the beginning, this is always wrong or this is always mm-hmm. right. There are definitely times where, you know, 
that is the case. I mean, truth is absolute. Truth is not relative. Uh, but there are times where we have to be wise and discern. So I think this is one of those times where you can't always throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. And the, the main reason why this is important to know is because you want to make sure that the, the truth you're hearing is the truth. And mm-hmm. whatever preaching that you're sitting under, whatever church you go to, it's it's kind of your responsibility to use your own discernment and make sure that you're, you're hearing things that are going to build you up and help reinforce uh, your knowledge of the truth. Because if, if you're not doing that, you're not doing yourself any favors. If you're hearing something that's wrong or you're just being entertained, you know, why even why even listen to the sermon in the first place? So it's it's a it's a useful thing to be able to do, discern what makes good preaching, because it's something that is gonna help you find a, a, a church home, kinda like we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if looking at it from that standpoint, like one thing I would say that kind of precludes these three topics, like if you're looking at a church, you want them to first and foremost hold scripture as the ultimate authority, no matter what, and Mm -hmm. all of scripture. Um, All of scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, and training in righteousness. Righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Okay, Um, you win. (laughs) But say that because it seems like there's been a movement where there's this idea that's been set forth rehashing, you know, an old thought that was wrong and is still wrong that we can unhitch from the Old Testament, that we don't want these... Well, those things are hard to deal with. God seems angry and mean in the Old Testament. So we'll just unhitch from that and we'll just look at Jesus. No, that's not it's not how we handle Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus himself looked at the Old Testament. Uh, Luke 24, 27, I believe. Uh, strangers on the road to Emmaus. He comes alongside of them and he points how throughout Moses and the prophets and all that, it all pointed to him. Right. So if you throw that out... I mean, you, you're kind of, like I said, it's a slap to the face of Jesus because I feel like that's kind of extreme, but you're you're saying, well, that's not important anymore. We've got you, Jesus. Right. So. And in order to be able to do that, you have to be able to understand what all of the entirety of Scripture means in order to mm-hmm. be able to make the claim that certain things aren't important or you know don't need to be taught on. That's really coming from a place of claiming complete knowledge and understanding of Scripture, which is kind of dangerous. Yeah, I think any time that someone might try to claim absolute knowledge about everything Scripture says, at best, that's extremely arrogant, and at worst, it's downright, you know, I can't say heretical. I don't want to say heretical, because that's a a really strong word, but... Maybe it's just beyond extremely arrogant. Yeah, I... It's... I don't have my thesaurus on me, but a, a better word for extremely. Yes, yeah. If mortally, <laughs> morbidly, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, no one could ever claim that. Um, obviously, in the spirit, through the spirit, we have you know teaching from God directly about what His truth is. But that's no new knowledge, and we can never claim in this life to have perfect knowledge about Scripture because. All of Scripture reveals God, and there's no way we can have perfect knowledge about God in this life. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what exegesis is, or yes. exegetical preaching. Yes. Um, so I prepared 
just an example of what good exegetical preaching would look like. So if your pastor, say he wanted to preach on Philippians 4.13, you know, everyone's favorite verse. Is that the, uh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? Yes, that is. Uh, so a good exegetical uh, handling of this verse, in my opinion, would be explaining that the larger context here, Paul has just finished going through a list of scenarios where if he has much or has little, if he's in good health or he's in bad health, he kind of runs through different you know, contrasting situations like that. He has learned how to be in every situation because he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Uh, it's He's not saying that he can win you know, a, a sports game because mm-hmm. he believes in Jesus. Um, he's literally mm-hmm. saying he knows he can handle any uh, situation he finds himself in because Christ is his strength. Yeah. And so I've heard of Christian schools putting that on sports jerseys. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a sad thing um, to see it taken that out of context, but that's why this is important. Uh, you have to let the text speak for itself. You can't isolate one verse or one passage. You have to look at, you know, the overall theme, uh, the audience, the, you know, the context it's all important to get a good idea of what's being said i think one of the interesting things about scripture is that uh it's all inspired by god and god did not choose to make it all look identical take the same format or even be by the same people Mm -hmm. and so you see quite a variety in scripture like psalms you know it's it's songs and then you go to ephesians and it's a letter written by paul and, you know, Ephesians to Peter, Peter writes differently than Paul does. And, mm-hmm. and so you, you really see God's truth coming out through the words of these people. And sometimes, uh, I want to be careful saying this, but I, I would go so far as to say that God forms what he's saying through those people. Not to say that what those people chose to say was ended up being what God wanted to say, but that God didn't you know, obliviate who these people were, but instead he used them and he, he spoke his truth through their words. That is to say, if, if God, I don't know, if God wanted me to write a book of the Bible, if I was way back then and I was communicating truth, it might've sounded differently than that same piece of truth written by a different person. And we kind of see that because Mm -hmm. the same things are said in different places, but the author who says it it just takes a different tone. And and the, the reason why that's interesting is because it really allows us to, to think about what's going on with this person, uh, what God has been using them to do and the setting they're in. Paul had a totally different life than, than say Peter, but they still interacted. And so it's just, it's just very interesting. There's kind of like a rich history in there. I mean, I don't like history, but it's still a rich <laughs> history. And um, that's why it's so important to understand what the author's intent was and what they were trying to say, because if you just take it like it's an, like a, a single phrase, it's a magical incantation and you can just pull it out of there and it, it just doesn't work. You're not going to get, uh, you're not going to get the real meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's really, a really good point because just because these uh, passages and these verses have a specific context that have a specific meaning 
that specific meaning can have varying applications to whomever is reading it um, because we are all different. So Mm -hmm. the same truth that, you know, God spoke through Paul in one of his letters um, may not resonate with me where I'm at right now, but the, the same exact truth spoken through Peter in one of his letters may actually, the spirit may be able to, may move it in my life a bit differently because of how it's communicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, ultimately, it, when can we ever say that there's a, a point of truth in scripture that we're just, we've graduated from it and we're, we're done with it. It's always going deeper and seeing mm-hmm. how true it really is and how it affects our lives at such a deep level. Yeah. So you said uh, that's an example of good exegesis. So mm-hmm. that that implies that there is also bad exegesis. And so I'm really curious to see what you prepared for that, because I don't think I could think of an example in a short amount of time. So what, what did you... Uh, so for bad exegesis, um, I don't have anything. Oh, I really? Yep. I sat there this morning, um, you know, finishing this up, and I ultimately came to the point where my thought was, if we're letting Scripture speak for itself based on context, how can we go wrong? Yeah, I think the only thing I could put in there about uh, how it could be bad is I think you just need to be careful sometimes to be sensitive when you're providing the truth. And that's not to say you should ever alter the truth, but I, I have to think that the way that you present the truth, you know, without changing the message, depending on the context, is important. Mm-hmm. For example, you you shouldn't go to a funeral and uh, preach about the reality of hell if it's you know the funeral of an unbeliever. It's true that hell does exist and it is a reality, mm-hmm. but that's not that's not really using wisdom. And so mm-hmm. I think I think applying wisdom is important to make sure exegesis is like faithful and. Uh, and effective um you know sometimes i have to i have to think that a, a preacher can look out and, and kind of have a, a feeling about how the sermon's landing with their congregation depending on the size of the church and they can know if they just need to be loving as they say it or if they need to press and mm-hmm. um you know i'm not a not a pastor but i i think that's probably somewhat of what makes preaching a, a skill and something you grow in yeah, I would definitely agree um, with that. The idea that you don't change truth, um, but you know when is best to deliver it and how to deliver it. I mean, along with that, I always think about you know Romans eight twenty eight is such an encouraging verse, knowing that for those who are are called according to God's purposes, He's working everything out for our good, which we see is ultimately the conformity to the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. But you know, as a as a layperson, if you know something tragic just happened to me, if I if I lost my wife or I lost a child, you know when I call my pastor and those moments immediately after that, I don't know that it's the most loving thing to be told. Well, this is ultimately for your good. That it's true. That it's absolutely true. But we're told to weep with those who are weeping. Yeah. So I, I think it is a wisdom mm. of when do you apply that truth like there's plenty of other truth that you can take to them to encourage them and then maybe in the months afterwards if they're struggling that's when you say you know this is all 
for yeah. your good, as hard as it is. Job's friends, uh, they waited a full week with him before they said anything, and they still said the wrong thing. So if they waited a week and they, they came up with the wrong answer, how much more, you know, yeah. <laughs> should we be careful what we say right away? Exactly. Um, so let's move on to, to eisegesis, or I guess we could say eisegesis is reading a context into something, while exegesis is taking something in that context. Uh, I would say meaning more than context. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, because you want to pull, you're pulling the meaning out with exegesis and with eisegesis, you're kind of pushing the meaning. Right, down. okay, yeah. So Running on four hours of sleep here. Um, you know, so. <laughs> um, so what about you? Do you have any examples for those? Uh, yeah, I have, I have one example. Uh, I was reading through Isaiah. Well, I'm, I'm still currently reading through Isaiah, but I believe it was two days ago. I read Isaiah 6, <laughs> and there's a, a very well-known verse in Isaiah. I believe it is, it's Isaiah 6, 9. No, 6, 8. Uh, this is Isaiah's commission from God, and it, and it goes like this. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And the nine starts, and he said, Go and say to this people. And it goes on. Uh, the reason why I picked this verse is because I've seen, I remember a specific time I was at the airport and I saw a team of people and I think they had uh, shirts with Alaska on it. We were in Seattle, Seattle airport. And on the backs of the shirts, it said this and said, here I am, Lord, send me. Uh, so reading this verse wrong, you could, you could assume this is Isaiah being commissioned to go give the truth to people and they'll be saved and it'll be great. God will do a great work through that. But what actually happens in the, in this part of Isaiah is, uh, it goes on. He says, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So that is completely the opposite of what you might expect. It's actually Isaiah. Um, I don't understand the book of Isaiah fully, but I understand that this part of Isaiah, God is telling him, go keep preaching to these people and they will be hardened. And this is part of my plan that I'm doing. It's part of Israel, uh, what I'm, what I'm going to do with Israel. Um, so eisegetically, you know, if you read the meaning into that, you say, you know, I really want to encourage people to go and share the gospel. And I, I need a verse that says that. And I'm sure that's a good intention thing. You know, you, you want to encourage people, mm -hmm. assuming the best. And so you say, here I am, Lord, send me. Oh, that's great. That's so, that's just a wonderful verse. God himself is commissioning us and, and we're, we're showing a willing heart, but it, that's just not at all what it is. And if you read it in the context and you, and you took the meaning out of it, that's actually there. What, what Isaiah is, the book of Isaiah is showing us, you just don't come to that conclusion at all. That is a, now that's a good example, or that's an example of good eisegesis, correct? Wait, <laughs> no, hold on. No. Um, <laughs> no, I, is, that I get, like, is it a double negative? Like, <laughs> not, never? I, I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe these people did want to go to Alaska and, harden the hearts of the people in Alaska. Maybe that was their intention. I sure hope not. <laughs> I hope not too. But no, I mean, that's, that is a good example 
of bad eisegesis. Um, so what's an example of when eisegesis is done in a way that is good, that it, it communicates truth? Um, for me, in thinking about it, my answer was there is none. I could be wrong, but in my thinking about it, I couldn't ever think of a time where it is appropriate to push our own meaning into mm -hmm. what scripture says. I think it kind of goes back to the discussion we were just having with exegesis where there's different applications, but that doesn't mean that that meaning in that part of scripture changes. Right. And I think the time that it's okay, I guess, is when you get it right and you you go to that verse because you 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 need it for a, a point you're trying to make mm -hmm. and what you're reading into it actually is what the verse is saying if you took it exegetically if you took mm -hmm. the meaning that's there but eisegesis and exegesis are more like tools for for navigating scripture it, mm -hmm. it's it's describing the approach we take to get information from it so mm -hmm. the exegetical approach is the right approach because all it says is I want to say what scripture says. So I just need to make sure I'm examining it, reading it right and getting that meaning. And eisegesis says, I have decided the meaning I'm trying to say, I'm going to search for something that I think says that meaning. And sometimes that'll be right. Sometimes you will get a verse that says that meaning, but more often than not, because you're using the wrong approach, you're you're just at a, a big risk for messing up if you don't completely do your research and, and make sure you, you've got everything figured out with that passage. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And I think to me, like, Sounds like you almost just described accidental exegesis. Like yeah. good eisegesis <laughs> is accidental exegesis. It's like a happy accident. <laughs> yes. So it's yeah, I think there's no way that you can intentionally like do this well. Like your intention should never be to read a meaning into scripture. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, there are times where that person by God's grace hits the nail on the head. But more often than not, we see this being misused. Uh, I actually want to share one of my examples because this real life example, not something I thought up. I was going to a church at one point in my life and I don't remember if it was Sunday morning or Sunday night, but the sermon was on Romans 12, 1 and 2. And Romans 12, 1 is about presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, um, as you know, acceptable worship. The pastor took that and, you know, we're the body of Christ and turned it into fitness somehow. Uh, somehow the point of the sermon became we're the body of Christ and we need to make that body look good. That's amazing. It, I've never been angrier that sitting in church. That doesn't even sound real. That sounds like a fake story. That sounds like something you would see on a, a sitcom or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, I was infuriated. Um, I was kind of starting a good season of growth in my life uh, in terms of my theology and and my just where I was at spiritually. So I wasn't sure how to handle it um, exactly other than just to be angry and flip the pages in my Bible very loudly as I read other things as the sermon continued. <laughs> so. 
I don't I don't know what the right response is, but I probably would do something similar. Just like I'm gonna read something else. Yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't just stand up and leave because I worked with the youth group. But yeah, that would have been awkward. Yeah, it, yeah, good times. Well, so let's move on to topical preaching. Mm-hmm. So topical is, in a sense, it's like the. It has opportunity to be the correct way to do the eisegetical approach that is to say you you've decided this is what we need to talk about um and i'm going to pull from texts that say this so instead of saying this is my meaning pick stuff that sounds like a topical when done right says we need to talk about this thing what passages mean that and then you you pull that passage and say what the passage says so you haven't decided what you're saying you've just decided the topic and then you pull texts from scripture yeah exactly uh i think topical is it's a little separate from exegesis and eisegesis because you made a good distinction uh, just a minute ago that exegesis and eisegesis is how we approach scripture and kind of how we read scripture so topical is then where you know either of those two methods come into play like kind of where the rubber meets the road type of thing it's like asking the question what in scripture will tell me about blank? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I think um, my the first example that comes to my mind for good topical preaching, so you know, based on what we've been saying, exegetical topical preaching would be you want to preach on marriage, therefore you go to Ephesians 5. Paul explicitly talks about marriage and you know, what it means and how it should be done. And so that's, boom, right there. You want to talk about marriage, you use Ephesians 5. So it's kind of cut and dry, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, there's so many ways to do topical wrong. And, uh, and I think the the main way you do topical wrong is when you pick a topic that really isn't like a biblical topic where you say, we're going to talk about I don't know. We're going to do an eight-week series on dating. And there's nothing wrong with doing, you know, talking about dating. I just would not do it. Yeah. When I, you know, when I worked with the youth, I was like, if, if someone wants to talk about dating, we will we'll do it one-on-one. I'll talk with them one-on-one. Doing a series on it, it's just not worth the time. Or the other way you could go wrong is you pick a topic and then it turns into eisegesis and, and you just pick passages that don't match. Yeah, that's, that right there is a, a perfect topic for like you said where that goes wrong because contextually dating wasn't even a thing i mean dating is extremely new for us so you're not going to find anybody in any author in scripture writing about it because stay tuned for the dating podcast by the way oh we're doing that i don't know i I just assumed it'll eventually come up i'm done with dating i'm married (laughs) so before we wrap up i want to touch on another small thing about preaching. Earlier I talked about my my horrible experience with Samsung and I kind of said at the end of it that making a good camera isn't what makes you a good company. And I, I would suggest the same thing that giving a very biblical sermon is not the only thing that makes preaching good. And some of that comes through the wisdom, as we said, um, you know, knowing when to... Um, when to push, when to be soft, and and being able to apply like God's heart uh, towards you know His children in in the process of preaching, 
So I want to I wanna open up a question here. What part does the delivery of, of the sermon play? Not just wisdom, but do you think there, is, uh, there should be some consideration for what's going to be uh, captivating, what's going to be attention-holding, um, maybe format like we're going to make the three points of the sermon in the, in the outline, and maybe further, these three points will all be alliteration. Um, what do you think about that? I think you you have to look at the heart behind it. I think it's one of those things that takes a little discernment. You know, Paul, uh, I believe it was in Corinthians, but I could be wrong. First Corinthians, he mentions you know not preaching with you know clever arguments or words. You know, so he's not doing things in a way that. Just his words sound good. Like we didn't who, come to you with cleverly devised arguments. Is that what you think? Yeah, something like that. Like it's they didn't come in, and not to say that they're what they were presenting wasn't logical, thought out, that sort of thing. But the crux or the power of their message is not in how they deliver it, but what mm-hmm. they are delivering. Um, I think there is you do want to as best as you can apply the preaching to your congregation. Um, I mean, God's truth is timeless. It's going to apply to all people at all times. So you need to figure out how it best applies to your congregation, but that involves telling them what it actually means. Um, but if, if, if your sermon hinges on buzzwords and filler, then it's not really a good sermon, even if mm-hmm. there is you know, some fact in there. I would agree with you. I think how I land on that issue is you, you are the person that God made you. He made you unique for, for a reason. And, you know, we might not always know what exactly that reason is, but one pastor is going to preach in a style that's different than another. Um, They should look the same in some ways because it is preaching. And so, they shouldn't look completely opposite or they couldn't be described by the same word. But on the other hand, one pastor's preaching might be what we consider a little more informal and one pastor's preaching might be very formal. Now, the mistake would be to say people want to hear blank, like they want to hear formal or they want to hear really informal. And so I'm going to do that. I think the right way to approach it is say, I'm going to just try and present the truth as I think it needs to be presented, and I'm going to do it in the way that um, God has gifted me to teach. So when I when I taught the youth, uh, the youth director, she taught in a very different way than I did. And I think that was okay, because if I tried to teach like her, I probably wouldn't have communicated the truth as, as well as I would have if I taught in the way that I prefer to teach, and vice versa. I don't think she could do my style as well either. Um, so the question really is, as you said, you know, where's your heart in it? There's a, there's a place for maybe a joke in the sermon. And there I say, you know, there are, there is room for that. And I think that's probably why I shouldn't ever be a pastor is because I, I just like interject analogies a lot because that's just the way I think. And, and sometimes it makes people laugh. And I think that would probably invoke the ire of some in certain church circles. And so I, I don't think I'm intended to be a pastor, but, uh, do you think, uh, am I, am I getting across what I'm trying to get across? Yeah, I, I, I think you are. I think we need to be gracious when we're looking at other people who are preaching. Uh, I think first and foremost, we need to 
judge someone's preaching on the content. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they may be the most monotone, dare I say, boring delivery ever. But if they are, you know, unashamedly proclaiming the gospel throughout all of Scripture, who am I to say what they're doing is wrong? I may yeah. not want to sit down and listen to 150 hours of them preaching necessarily because it might be hard for me to do it first. But just because someone's boring doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong. I mean, even it makes me think of uh, Philippians 1 where Paul is talking about people who they're preaching from sinful uh, mindsets from uh, so 115. He say he says they preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Um out of selfish ambition in verse 17. But his response in verse 18 is, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So, I mean, that's a little bit harsher of a a situation than someone being boring. But the fact that, I mean, if Christ is being proclaimed, glory to God, Christ is being proclaimed. Mm. And I think uh, that's a really great point you bring up. One thing that really just kind of hurts me about the way church culture has become in certain circles is we're so willing to tear down other ministries and sure not everyone does things well and there are ministries out there that make some pretty big mistakes that really do need to change and then there are ministries that make what some people think are mistakes but they might not be and I just don't think it's helpful uh, especially from the from the pulpit I don't think it's helpful to ever demonize other ministries or or try and uh cast aspersions oh that is a that is a phrase right there um try to like sling mud at other ministries because they are our christian brothers and sisters and we should be wanting to assume the best motive and i think we should only uh you know say they have bad motives when there's you know, we've exhausted all other possibilities. You know, First Corinthians 13, love believes all things, love hopes all things. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes delivery is going to look different. Sometimes even the way they progress through the content is going to look different. Uh, and until we have the opportunity to speak with that person and, and you know, say, I think this isn't good and, and hear them out mm-hmm. and make a conclusion from there, I think we just, you know, we got to do our best to not... Um, not fight others in the church. Yeah, I I would agree with that. <clears throat> the one who's not against you is for you. Right? Yeah, I mean I would definitely agree with that. We are way too quick um, to, I mean even just use the word heretic. I mean that word is thrown around pretty lightly these days. Uh, we do see some ministries that maybe are getting into territory where uh, it was considered heresy. Um, but we should give them a chance to, you know, recant and say, yeah, that's not what I meant. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Like, let me clarify. We should lovingly try and help them. Exactly. And only after a time of, you know, them saying like, nope, that's exactly what I meant. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to, then you kind of say, okay, well, let's avoid their ministry and, you know, kind yeah. of be aware of that when dealing with them. Yeah, I would agree. So as we're wrapping up here, what what would you say is the despised for youth takeaway here given our, our whole purpose we're talking about this because we want we want people to have a a, a good understanding of, of what preaching is for and how to discern it um, how do you think that can be used as a takeaway here um just looking at what we believe in our opinion is the most effective method of preaching 
um, so that if someone is either in a church or looking to go to a new church, they can look at how the word is taught and decide if it's something that they want to submit themselves to or if they're in a church already and they start to see this, uh, the preaching start to go in a direction that maybe isn't the best, it's something that they can go to the, the pastor, the elders about and kind of voice some concerns. So I think by, you know, going over exegesis and showing that that is the most consistent way, in our opinion, to look at scripture and to preach scripture, uh, that eisegesis is something that's should typically be avoided. Um, it's not really helpful unless you say like, there's a happy accident and you accidentally get to exegesis <laughs> and that topical preaching isn't necessarily always bad. It's just how it's carried out, whether it's exegetically or eisegetically. Yeah, just having a working knowledge of of what preaching is supposed to look like and, and how content from the scripture makes its way into the sermon that knowledge is important to have, even as a lay person in the church. I think we often make the mistake of thinking, especially when we're younger, of thinking that the church is run by the pastors, the elders, they got it. But no, uh, we as church members are, we're supposed to play a part in this. We're supposed to, like you said, if the, if something is going, you know, off the, off the good path or whatever, uh, we're supposed to speak up and try and lovingly, help them see what they're doing wrong. And um, so not only how can I pick a church that's that's going to help me understand and be encouraged by scripture more, uh, but also how can I be an effective member in my church? And also if you're uh, listening to something online, that's important too, because you don't know anything about that pastor. You don't know what that ministry is like. And so uh, you need to be able to discern if what you're hearing is biblical or not. And sometimes the format can tell you that. Sometimes um, the way it's delivered can. Uh, anything that shows you what the heart behind it is, or just the content itself, that can be uh, that can be something that helps you discern. And, and that's just an important skill to have as a believer. Definitely, yeah. And I mean, further to the point of being a, an effective member of a church, I mean, look at. Paul commends the Bereans for not taking him at his word, but making sure what he was teaching lined up with scripture. So again, going back to scripture, there's examples there of, you know, these people weren't just, you know, oh, he's the guy who's preaching to us. So we're just going to trust every single word he says. Like, Mm -hmm. like we're, we're supposed to, you know, examine what's being told to us against scripture. And if it doesn't line up, they're wrong. And that doesn't mean that you run them out of town, but go to them and say, lovingly, you said this, I see this in scripture, help me understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great way to, great way to put it. So, um, what's, what's been working for you, Trey? Oh, working for me. I think recently reading has been working for me. It might sound a little pretentious, but. uh, I did, I didn't think pretentious. That wasn't (laughs) the word I was thinking. Or nerdy. I was thinking just like, pretty basic there well it specifically in i used to love reading in middle school and high school but due to being forced to read during those times i kind of fell out of it for a while um, which at this point is like 10 years but 
I'm not a big resolutioner, but I did want this year to read more. So, so far this year, I've been able to, to pick up my reading, uh, in, you know, exponentially compared to years past. And it's been enjoyable. It's hard to get back into it, um, at first, but it's kind of like riding a bike. You just remember how to do it well and it's just fun. What have you been reading? Uh, so I finished a biography of Martin Luther, um, just a few days ago, which I've been trying to work on that since October. And then I also uh, read Ender's Game again. Oh, that's so, a good one. Yeah. I, I was one of those I read in middle school and I wanted to read it again. I read a bunch of the, the sequels too. I think I read two or three of the books that came after it. Okay. Yeah. I was, I definitely want to get the Speaker of the Dead, mm, yeah, or Speaker for good. the Dead, and Ender's Shadow. So I think I read Speaker for the Dead xenophobia or xenocide Mm -hmm. and i started whatever comes after that one and i also read this one called a war of gifts which is a war of gifts is actually really interesting it's a Mm -hmm. like a 90 to 100 page standalone it's a really quick read i think my my older brother he read it in a single plane flight Mm -hmm. um and it's essentially about this this kid who you know he's picked for the academy that mm-hmm. the super smart kids go to and well, along with Ender. And he comes from a, a really religious family, like so religious that um, he describes when he's sitting in a sermon, he has to stand or sit as still as possible to like give respect to his father and show that his father's like a godly man or whatever. And, I, you know, it, it doesn't paint this as like a typical picture of, religion it paints it as like he comes from an extremist family Mm -hmm. um and then he interacts with ender and the the main point or i guess like this this big dialogue in it is ender just kind of encourages him to be moderate and Mm -hmm. in a good way i would say which i just i just found very interesting that it comes from you know the secular book and i i think if i remember correctly it kind of had a a decent takeaway Hmm. Yeah, that is pretty interesting i'd loan it to you but i don't i don't think i have it here that's fine i I uh, probably have a little bit of pride, but I like buying all the books that I read. Oh, yeah. That way I can build a library. And, you so. probably wouldn't get her along very well with Marie Kondo. You no. didn't hear about her lately. Yeah, 30 books at most. Yeah. Yeah. I'm shooting for at least 30 books read this year. So I think I probably have like at least 50 on this shelf here. Yeah, we've, we've got two. Between Melanie and, I, Melanie and I, we have two bookshelves that are pretty much full. So. Mm. I haven't read all of them, but that's kind of what I'm working right, through right. now. What's been working for you? Well, uh, that was a very good thing that's working for you. Mentally stimulating and, and good for building intelligence and you know just good stuff. And uh, so mine is going to be completely opposite of that. Um, so about once a week at my job, I have to do an overnight shift. And what that means is I'm not allowed to sleep and there is nothing to do. I sit in an office and I like try and read or watch Netflix or or do whatever, Um, but I can't sleep all through the night, 11 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. And so you hit a point where it's no longer possible to do anything productive. So uh, I did one last night. That's why I'm kind of tired today. only have four hours of sleep. And I, uh, I had the idea to take one of the projectors from from what we use to show movies. And I brought it up to the office and I hooked up 
a Nintendo Switch to it, and so I was able to play in a big screen because the the Switch is fun, but the the problem is, you know, you don't want to like stare at this little screen the whole time. It it hurts my eyes. I can. I, I typically get headaches just mm-hmm. from looking at my phone too much throughout the day if I do. So that that was really nice. I uh, I was able to kill time pretty quickly once I was done doing anything productive. And nice. So yeah, kind of the opposite of reading. But I can relate. I've been there. Uh, I do tech support, so my work is based on what we have, and it's been dead enough in the past that I've brought in my Switch, and you know, I don't have a projector to put it on, but yeah, <laughs> it's good yeah it was good so yeah this is that's podcast two yeah or well episode two of podcast one i don't think i'm ready to start a second podcast yet i mean i've got some ideas and you know this is this seems to be working well all right well as we wrap it up uh don't forget to rate and review on itunes which i believe we are up on there now we are we are officially up (laughs) so we're there and on spotify i know any other platforms i'm missing uh, you can also find us on podbean.com, but, you know, just do iTunes or Spotify. Yeah, it seems a little more mainstream. Uh, so rate and review there. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can email us. Or suggestions about something you'd like to hear us talk about. I mean, I know we're not experts, but I like to think we're mildly interesting. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. So, so if you have any suggestions, you can email those too. Yep, uh, despiseforyouth at gmail.com. So just the title at gmail.com yeah thanks for listening uh we'll hope hopefully we'll get another one out to you soon until next time This podcast contains our opinions on all subjects discussed. All opinions given should be tested against scripture. Church membership, regular attendance, and submission to pastors and or elders is recommended for optimal growth in your faith. If you find yourself relying on podcasters and celebrity pastors as the main source of truth in your life, please repent immediately and consult the nearest Bible.